Good morning. So on your handouts, you probably see that the passage keeps going to uh, chapter 10, to verse 16, but Sarah only read half of it. So we are going to be going through all the way to Samuel 10, verse 16, from the beginning of chapter 9. And um, it's a very long passage, but we'll try to get through it as quickly as we can. Um, in case you didn't know, that was my wife. Some of you who are new, that was my wife who read the passage. Um, so I want to start with a little quick story about when Sarah moved up here from the Bay Area. Um, we kind of panicked at the last minute trying to find a place to live. I was already staying somewhere. And um, so this, this house came available, you know, right. We had been praying and God provided right at the last. I mean, it was one of those like right at the last minute. And um, we love the neighborhood we're in. And we loved our address, which is 111 Channing Way. Now, I'm not supporting numerology, just so you know. But um, we kind of looked it up and thought, well, let's see what this means. This is neat. And it kind of has a tendency to mean new beginnings. And then we realized what the church address was here, 11111. And um, I was already coming here, but I wasn't, you know, quite, I didn't have my feet in yet, and she had just been coming up as a, a guest. And just from that point, just, just the, the way God can do things, he, he works through all sorts of things, all sorts of ways. So don't count out God working through a certain number or a certain gas station attendant or, or whatnot, if, you, if that makes sense to you. Um, and we're very happy here, and we're very happy in our neighborhood. So we didn't get all mystic about it, but it made us more aware of what God is doing in all of our lives, because each and every one of us is, is, is moving, right? And God is moving in us and for us. Um, so what I'm simply saying is that, that seeing or, or encountering certain things in life sometimes shouldn't just be um, chalked up to a, a coincidence. God upholds creation in his providence to declare his glory, and he completes his work in his children, and he guides our steps. The theologian R.G. Sproul said, God doesn't roll dice, and nothing happens by chance ever. So just think about your lives this morning as we go through this passage. Think about a time maybe several years ago or in the last few years where there's probably been some type of would-be coincidence that um, it's seemingly insignificant circumstance that might have happened in your life. But so many times from the human perspective, we can misinterpret God's providence as inconvenience. What I mean is like, like, like an interruption, okay? So he's always speaking, but unfortunately, we aren't always listening. Do you ever wonder how much he's involved in your everyday life? Because all our lives have a meaning. He's in charge of every little detail. He's always moving. He wants us to meet people. He wants us to be in certain places during our, our time during the day and evening. Which brings us to the introduction of this new character that we're going to meet today by the name of Saul. Last week in Isaac's message, we learned that the elders and the people demanded a king, and they rejected God, they rejected Samuel and his children, despite Samuel's warnings that it's not going to go very good if they refuse to listen. This passage is all about God's providence, and you can look at it in two ways. You could take the big picture and see that God is preparing a whole line of kings through whom Christ, the king of kings, will eventually be born. 
And you can look at the smaller picture and see how God is going to be working in Saul's life throughout these next chapters. We start out with this frustrating day of looking for three lost donkeys. And why is that so important? Well, it's, it's important because what we're really going to see is, is God's guiding hand and how he works in just ordinary events, not just in Saul's life, but in our lives too. I'm not going to read all these verses because it's so long, but I'm going to tell you what verse we're on. So let's look at the first two verses of 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It tells us right off the bat that Saul comes from a family of wealth and also tells us about his looks. Handsome. Nobody in Israel is better looking or even taller than this guy. It's not me, okay? Right? I mean, this guy must have been a looker. Like, he could be an Instagram star probably. So, and it says from his shoulders upward, which probably means that the heads of most people only reach to his shoulders. If being a king was all about appearance, Saul's going to fit the mold, right? A person might look like a leader, though, but we know that um, it doesn't mean he or she has a heart to be a good leader. I have a dear person who's very close to me um, years ago who um, voted for somebody in an election. And um, they voted for him because they were, they were handsome. That, yeah, they were handsome. They were handsome. That's why they voted for them. And it's almost impossible to make a precise judgment on someone by first impressions. But this is what the people wanted, someone who would lead them in the battle. In fact, they demanded it. We go back to chapter 8, verse 20 that Isaac preached on. It says, we also want to be like nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. If you look in Judges chapter 20, you can see that picking a king from this tribe of Benjamin isn't a good indicator for a positive experience. Which actually brings me to one of my first points is that these, these pe the, the people thought that they knew best. They rejected God. They rejected Samuel. They followed their heart. And that's something that we can't get caught up in as, as believers in Jesus. When we decide to go our own way, what does it do? It takes us back to our old life. We are, we are not there anymore. We are new creations. Not anymore. God, God's way represents who we are. In Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. So in verse 3 and 4, we're going to see the donkeys. And just go ahead and read along. And, and you see there's, there's, there's absolutely nothing unusual about how this story starts out. Saul and his servant go looking for three donkeys per his dad, uh, Kish. He came from wealth, Saul did, but... It's not going to stop, the wealth doesn't stop him from going to look, just doing this measly job of looking for donkeys. There's nothing extravagant about it. We lose things all the time, but God is at work in interruptions and in setbacks in Saul's life right now and in our lives also. And it's interesting how God sometimes uses irritating situations for his plan. And so he's going to work his plan through three donkeys. And they could have gone anywhere, but God sent them where he wanted and he does the same thing with us. If we have a plan interrupted, we have something set that we know we're going to do, and we get interrupted, sometimes we need to stop and think, okay, is God doing something here, instead of just getting irritated and moving on? What I mean is, it, it, you think you were in control of this situation, but now you're not. And so what if we took every little irritating thing that happens, and, and we look at it like, possibly God is moving, God is doing something in this, in this interruption, and, and and, and see what happens. 
I think lots of times we think that these interruptions are just getting in the way of real life. And we lose you don't like them as they kind of remind us that we're not in control, like an unforeseen circumstance. In Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, he says, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans. His own life was interrupted by WW2 and then cut short in the concentration camp. His point is not that we simply hear divine interruptions, but that we allow ourselves to be interrupted. He guides us in our everyday life to fulfill his will. Romans 8, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Saul had no idea that God was directing him. Sometimes we don't know. There are times when we don't even know that he's directing us. But it could have been this morning. It could have been a conversation in church. It could have been your stop at coffee this morning. It could have been at work. It could have been going for your evening or morning walk and a neighbor that you talk to. You don't know. So in verse 5, we see Saul showing concern for his father. He's showing respect. He, he's, he's worried about his, his father getting anxious if they don't get back soon. He's ready to throw in the towel. So the servant comes up with a plan in verse 6, where it says, man of God. The words praise Samuel as to who he is. Man of God, honorable man. Everything he says happens. He is known throughout the land. In 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. What an amazing reputation Samuel had. We should have that type of reputation as, as believers in Jesus. Men and women of God, right? They value the things of heaven. He or she makes a relationship with Christ the first priority, pursuing Jesus with a passion. It doesn't seem that they know Samuel's name here, and I find it interesting since he is pretty well known. So in 7 and 8, verse 7 and 8, they, they obviously didn't prepare for this long journey. Um, they seem to have not, they, they ran out of food. But out of respect for the prophet, Saul feels a present of some sort is warranted. This is a normal thing. Actually, in uh, 2 Kings, it's speaking of the prophet Eli Elijah it says, take a present with you and go meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord through him, saying, shall I recover from sickness? So Hazio went to meet him and took a present with him and all kinds of goods of Damascus, 40 camel loads, 40. That's a ton of stuff. So Saul's servant happens to have some silver on him in verse 8. While Saul's from the wealthy family, it's a servant who comes up with the, with the goods. It's common courtesy to bring a gift when consulting a prophet but it's wrong to think that there's any type of, of, of service fee, right? Samuel isn't a fortune teller. He's a prophet for God. And though Saul is in charge of his servant, the servant kind of seems to be the one who's leading in verse 9 and 10. So they agree to go find the seer or prophet, and they, they head into this city, mostly likely Ramah, that's pronounced right, where Samuel is from. But you see, God is at work in these people right now, and he is at work in all the places that we travel during our days. And so they, they, they run into some ladies in verse 11. I'm going through 11 through 13. They come out to get some water. It was common for, for this. What is strange is that when they ask if they had seen the seer, Samuel, they tell him he's only just ahead. They don't have to go looking all over the place for Samuel. God made it very convenient, I think, for them. You can see God guiding this whole thing. 
But they tell him, yeah, he's just up ahead. And he needs to bless the sacrifice for the meal. But none of them have any idea the meal is actually for Saul himself. Isn't the timing, when you, when, you, when you read this passage, isn't the timing extraordinary? It's God is sovereignly guiding this. This divine appointment is, is, is going to happen when, when Saul and Samuel meet. It, I mean, it just happened that Saul and his servant come looking for donkeys on the same day Samuel was in town. So, there was a, a true story that I'm going to read. Um, there were two ladies that were driving home one night, and their car suddenly got a flat tire. They got a bit nervous uh, because a truck pulled up behind them. And a gentleman who was, he was with his wife, he offered to fix the flat. So, changed the tire. He got all greasy. They shook hands. They thanked each other. And the guy says to the ladies, wow, somebody up above put me at the right place at the right time, I guess. And, and, and he drives off. So a few minutes later, the ladies, you know, they were a little nervous. They get back on the road. Their tires changed, going in the same direction. Going around a corner, all of a sudden they see the guy's wife out there, middle of the road, and the truck is pulled over on the side of the road. Wife is waving him down. They stopped and asked, they're like, what's wrong? She says, I think my husband is having a heart attack. Same guy who helped him. So the lady jumps out of her car, rushes over, opens the door, checks his pulse, starts giving him CPR, and saves his life. And she's like, Thank God, I'm an emergency nurse. I knew CPR. So my point is, is that we look at the first part of that story and go, wow, I was really lucky that those ladies had somebody nice that came by and changed their flat tire. But that's not really the point. The point is when things happen, we tend to classify as important or unimportant. We have no problem believing God is in charge of big things, but maybe such a big God would not trouble himself with, with seemingly little tiny events. So we cite coincidence is how we explain unexpected things and say surprise meetings. But God isn't surprised. Sometimes people come our way because God literally sends them to us. And we need to see that. This woman saved this man's life. And God's hand was in this whole thing. So in verse 14, they, they head up to the city, city, city meaning it was fairly normal for cities to be built on, on hills then for um, protective reasons, defense, right, against their enemies. They get into the city, and there's Samuel. He's on the same path as Saul and his servant. No accident. And I thought about this part a lot because I thought all, all these different perspectives that, that people would have, so I'm going to give you three. You take just the human perspective of this, maybe for a lot of us, that we aren't going to find the donkeys, we're not going to find them, so let's turn around and go home because I'm tired and I'm hungry. And then you look at the ladies' perspective, possibly, and they think how lucky Saul and his servant are that the individual they're looking for is just right up there. But our perspective should be that this really isn't a surprise, and it really isn't a coincidence. This is a totally divine appointment orchestrated through God, and Saul's life is going to change drastically through it. Which brings me to another point is that we have a really, really big God. And sometimes we might feel like we are just wandering around in our lives looking for donkeys, looking for something like Saul, but we're not. There's a purpose for everything we do and every person we talk to and every place we go. 
So, I, 15 through 17, God tells Samuel details now of how this, how this is going to go down, right? He says, I will send you. Though Israel rejected the Lord as their king in chapter 8, verse 7, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. The Israelites demanded a king. They didn't want Samuel. They didn't want his sons. You can compare Samuel's sons to, um, I think actually Isaac touched on this. You can compare Samuel's sons to Eli's back in chapter 2. Samuel's sons were taking bribes and preferring justice. In chapter 8, verse 5, it says, Behold, you are old, Samuel, and your sons do not walk in your ways. It is what the elders and the people of Israel told Samuel. So God would indeed give Israel a king, but he's going to give them a flawed king. That he may save my people, it says. I'm in verses 15 through 17. And there are a lot of issues during Saul's reign. A lot. And we're going to see that further on, but I have to give him a little bit. It wasn't total disaster. He did succeed with some victories, and he did lead Israel to greater freedom from the Philistines. And then we see where God identifies Samuel. Samuel did not know who Saul was, only that this individual was going to be God's chosen king. And then still in verses 15 through 17, it says, It is he, it is he who were restrained. And this is an interesting word here, restrain, meaning hinder, to rule people sternly. God's plan is, is, is bigger than ours. It's bigger than Saul's at this point. Saul had no idea what Samuel looked like in verse 18. He basically asked Samuel, where do I find Samuel? Samuel's an important guy. He's, he's, he's known throughout the land, and neither Saul nor his servant knew who he was or what he looked like. Well, Samuel says in 19, he says, I'm the guy you're looking for. I'm him. And he invites him to eat with him. And when morning comes, I'm going to tell you all that is on your mind, Saul. He has no idea. Saul has no idea how much his life is about to change. And all he was doing was, was searching for three donkeys. I'm going to stop here for a second because like a lot of you have been believers since you were very young. And it's uh, interesting to think back of, of how much our lives have changed, right? A lot. I hope everybody can go, yeah, it's crazy how much our lives have changed. Thank God, right? I think sometimes my own mother thinks I'm still kind of cracked up. I'm not, I'm not sure. It's asked Sarah that. Anyway, verse 20. Right? So be before Saul could even ask about the donkeys, Samuel tells him. He says, relax your mind, Saul. They've been found. And what he says next probably astonishes him in verse 20. Saul and his family are going to fulfill Israel's demand for a king. It says, as for your donkeys, they were lost three days ago. Do not set your mind on them. They've been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for your father's house? Though Saul came from a wealthy family, his response does seem a little humble. He's like, me? I'm just from this little tribe of Benjamin. What are you saying? I, I just wanted to find my donkeys. How do you know me? God is going to raise up Samuel to a position of importance. 
You ever wonder why, why God raises up certain people and others not? Certain people have, have a, in, a, in an important position? Sometimes we might think, well, that person is so much more spiritual than I, or their theology is much better than mine, or that person is usable way more than me. Oh, his faith is super big, and mine's just not that big. He can use anyone. He can use you for anything. You don't need a degree. A degree. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to be a leader in the church. You just need to be an ordinary, broken person and be willing to be used by him. We can't think, oh, my sin is too bad. I'm not strong enough Christian. I'm not gifted. He can use you. Be willing. Cry out to God. Use me for your purpose and see maybe what happens. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So verses 22 through 24, we see they, they go with Samuel to the meal, and they, they get placed at the head of the other people, like, like a guest of honor. Now, Samuel had already told the cook to set aside a portion of food. Saul is going to be provided the best portion of food. He just set off for those donkeys, right? Now, he, now he's sitting at a table. He's eating a meal. He's the honored guest. And all this was, was planned ahead of time. Saul doesn't even really know that he's going to be the king of Israel yet. And so if you don't think about, God's, about the providence of God much, this is definitely a, a story for you. God's plan is always better, and he's always doing something. So after the meal, in 25, 26, and 27, they're provided a roof to sleep on. And they have flat roofs, and they would use the flat roof for drying flax and relaxing. And in this case, Saul and his servant, they're going to spend the, spend the night up there. Has anybody slept on a roof before? Nobody. Except for my wife. She's done this before. Anyway, in the Middle East, I believe this still goes on. It's unusual by our standards, though, isn't it? So Samuel, the early riser, he gets up. They go out into the street. And as they head to the outskirts, Samuel wants the, ser the servant to pass on by. Like, you let the servant pass on by because I want to talk to you. That's kind of an indicator, right? Um, it seems that what is going to happen in verse 1 as we get to chapter 10 was a private matter, and that Saul is being prepared, and he doesn't really know it. It doesn't say what the conversation was about, but I would bet that Saul was told some really amazing news that possibly might have even shaken his life up a little bit. But we see the providence of God in these first 27 verses. I feel like I'm speed reading here. <laughs> so, so we're moving to chapter 10, verse 1. Has not the Lord anointed you, Saul? The word anoint literally means to rub, smear, or pour oil upon. You're going to reign, Saul, over my people of Israel. And not only that, but you're going to save them from their enemies. This anointing is a really big deal. Saul is now being equipped for the job of ruling over Israel. It was a huge event. Saul should be able to look back on this and know that God has called him to something really special. The kiss was probably a greeting um, somehow in Samuel showing his personal support. But then it also says in verse 1, it, I'm going to read this real quick. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. 
This tells us how important, how important this job is going to be for Saul. And that he should try his best. Just like the jobs that we have. They're all gifts from God. Even if we're retired, everything that we have, it's, it's all been handed down from God Almighty. So any job is opportunity to carry out, out his work for him by reflecting the image of Christ to whoever we are around. People who don't know him and even the people who reject him. Now the story just gets, just gets better in verses 2 through 6. We're seeing God working in all these, these signs. I'm not going to read these. Um, but just in case Saul may be a little doubtful of all that's happened so far, Samuel's going to tell him of three things that are going to happen when they depart. We see the first one. It, it says that, that Saul's dad, Kish, doesn't care about the donkeys anymore, though. But now he's anxious about his son. And I bring this up because it seems like Saul and his father had a, a caring relationship. You know, at, at the beginning, Saul was, Saul was concerned about his dad, and now his dad is, is con, just, yeah, there's, there's, there's some relationship there. Um, but all these signs, they're all so precise, every one of them. Remember in chapter 9, in verse 5, Saul was worried about his dad getting anxious. And this is, this is crazy. They're so laid out. God's hand is all over this. And sometimes it's baffling how he goes about doing his work. Three loaves of bread. Did you see that part? They're going to have three loaves of bread. But Saul, you're only going to get two. They're only going to hand you two. It says, three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. They will greet you and just give you the two loaves. <laughs> just two loaves, Saul. That's all you're going to get. He does the same thing for us. If, if we aren't tuned in, we veer off the road. God has the details of our lives organized. He, he's, he's got it organized. He doesn't need help, but we, we have the tendency to disorganize our lives. So now this is amazing in verse 6 and 7. Something amazing is about to happen to Saul. Right after the third sign, Saul is a different person. Saul could have had a, a, a gallon of oil poured on his head. But without the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him, it wouldn't have meant anything. This verse, the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, speaks of God's Spirit suddenly coming on someone to equip and empower the person to serve the interests of God's people. So he is ready now for what God has called him to do. And where it says, turn into another man, in this passage it means not by losing oneself, but rather by being equipped with power to play a new role. And you can look that up in the ESVSB study Bible. So for us as believers, our feeling and empowering the Holy Spirit should be an unforgettable experience. And we should be so grateful what God has given us. So verse 7 and 8, God arranged for these three events to be a sign for Saul. So then Samuel gives him something more to do. But he must wait, right? Wait for Samuel to come back after seven days. The prophet is, is showing some authority now over the future king of Israel. 
And he does wait. Saul waits. You're going to see down the road, though, in future chapters that, that, that he didn't wait, and it's going to get him in trouble. And peace offerings also can be known as fellowship offerings for a celebration. So verses 9, 10, and 11, God starts to change Saul's heart so he's capable of leading the people. He starts prophesying after the Spirit of God rushed upon him. Now this most likely is not a permanent spiritual change or conversion. You see this later on in, the, in chapter 16 where it says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. He's starting to become a changed man, though, and since all three signs have now come to pass, Saul shouldn't have any doubt that God is with him. The people who knew him could tell he was different. They're like, what has happened to Saul? So we know because of the reaction that there's been a major change. Which brings me to another point about our lives. The people recognize the change in Saul without a doubt. And, and people should recognize the change that we, we have been through. Right? There should be evidence, lots of it. That a life that's been changed by Jesus is, is, is evidence to those around us that he, in fact, is real. Living our lives for him consistently among non-Christians is probably the most convincing piece of evidence we can show that our faith is real. So we have a search for three donkeys, a meeting with a well-known prophet, a meal that he was a guest of honor, three signs that were fulfilled, let alone getting anointed and being told that the God of Israel has selected you to be the first king. That sounds exhausting, right? It's crazy. All through three donkeys. All through three donkeys. So this, this phrase um, in, I think it's verse 12, it's like a phrase, yeah, and a man of the place answered, and who is their father? This is like a phrase of astonishment. Like Saul, like saying, Saul's got religion now? So, I'll tell you a quick story. When I was in high school, I had this weird freshman English teacher, okay? But Robert, Robert might know him. I don't know. I'm not going to mention his name. And he was my English teacher, and he carried this mineral water on his side. And I thought, this guy's weird because he carries mineral water. Big, big German guy. So, I'm going to testimonies. I cut his class all the time. And, but I was out playing basketball. I was out playing basketball. I felt I was being productive because this guy was weird. So... And then I changed the report card. I, I, that's a whole different story. That's when report cards came in the mail. You can get your own report card and change it. I changed my F to a, to a, to a I think it was a B. Yeah, a B. And then I had to go to a conference, and, and they each had two different report cards, so I had to explain that. <laughs> like, he had, he had the F, I had the B. Anyway, I went in the military. My mom sends me letters and newspaper articles. This guy killed his wife. This guy killed his wife in in a passion crime, apparently. I was like, well, I always thought he was a weirdo, right? So in 1985, I went to work, I went to work for the Department of Corrections as a prison, as a correctional officer, prison guard. <laughs> About three days on the job, I let this guy out of his cell. And I, I, I yelled, I can't believe this guy is a Bible thumper now, because he came out wearing, carrying this huge Bible. And, and my point is, like, this is how these people saw Saul, like this, this, like, Saul's got religion now? But this teacher of mine, he came out, and he was like a, what I would call them back then, not a very nice word, a Bible thumper. So, he's still in there as far as I know. Anyway, 
Um, I hope he is anyway. So, so verses 14 through 16, he, he finished prophesying, and now he runs into his uncle, and he wants to know where's he been. And he tells him, I've just been out looking for donkeys. I couldn't find them, so I went to Samuel. And it's interesting because when Saul mentioned Samuel, it drew some interest from his uncle. He wants to know, well, what did Samuel say? Seems that he knew who Samuel was, and he wanted to know what he was told. And he just kind of like, not much, just, that the, you know, the donkey's been found. And Saul completely steers clear of telling his uncle about anything else that happened. And it's a little baffling. That maybe he was still decompressing from his whole experience. And he just needed time to let it all sink in. I mean, he did have a very powerful encounter. Perhaps he was just being, being wise and knowing that the Lord was leading him, and maybe it wasn't time to reveal anything. And it could be he was just afraid. Because you're going to see later on that, that he's going to be found hiding among some, some baggage later on in this chapter. Um, so... Even though we, we believe in God's providence, I hope that most of us do, all of us do in our lives, like for a job or for, for a spouse or for protection over something, we should look at this passage and see that God has such a bigger, bigger purpose for each and every one of us. And he had a bigger purpose for Saul. It's a huge passage, and, and I know I covered it fast, and it can get so deep with it, but... but we see God's providence throughout. And it's a story that has God and, and God alone only as the author. Much of what God does in the world is so beyond our, our understanding that we, to, to grasp. But we don't need to know all, all these details. We need to trust in his goodness, power to govern the world. And this alone should make a difference on how we think and how we live. All of us are involved in his work one way or another, but you just might not know it. The people we are, the things that happen to us, our backgrounds, all of it is for his purpose. We're not wandering around in the wilderness, not knowing what's going on. But right now, where we're at, we all have a chance to be part of his story. And we should live that out somehow. Just don't, don't, don't leave here today and just forget about it and, and try to think of people you talk to or encounters that you might have and pray in your head and see if God is moving. Saul is going to turn out to be a very, very flawed king. King David is going to be a flawed king. Samuel, I mean Solomon, is going to be a flawed king. We don't have a flawed king. He is the king of kings with authority and dominion over all things. That includes our lives. So throughout these books of Samuel, we see this redemptive story of Jesus weaving through the chapters where imperfect people cast a shadow for the perfect king who wants to be in our lives. He is in control. Those things that happen to us, he is in control. Whatever we have today is a result of his care for us, just like when he fed the 5,000. Will you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Samuel. Just pray, God, that um, something in this message might have touched, touched us in some way to where we 
when we leave here that um, we can look more clearly into the providence of God and things around us and the people we meet, Lord, and, and take these encounters that we have and see if you're working within us, Lord. Help us to be uh, more mindful of that in our lives and pray for all of us as we leave here today that um, we will see you clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could please stand.